Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. This month's podcast will explore the relationship between General Douglas MacArthur and President John F. Kennedy. President Kennedy was a man fascinated by physical and moral courage. Although his Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Profiles in Courage, focused on the actions of United States senators, Kennedy was also interested in military heroes, and General Douglas MacArthur captured his attention. Aristocratic, intelligent, dramatic, and a man of unwavering convictions, General MacArthur had few peers. It mattered little to Kennedy that MacArthur was considered a reactionary conservative and a potential liability for any president. Nor did it matter that Kennedy was a Democrat and was of an entirely different generation. As MacArthur biographer D. Clayton James points out, MacArthur was like a cut-glass chandelier prism that refracts sunlight into fascinating multicolored patterns on walls. His nature was so complex that people of quite different styles and beliefs could be attracted or repelled by him. The best example of this is that Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy both liked him and made a point of reaching out to him. While it was clearly politically advantageous for both young politicians to be seen in the company of a general and a statesman of MacArthur's stature, it is telling that both also sought him out privately. Many people are surprised today to learn that MacArthur and Kennedy had any kind of rapport with one another. Given MacArthur's track record with Democrats and the generational gap between the two men, this is not surprising. Despite their differences, however, Kennedy and MacArthur actually had a great deal in common. Both were patrician and charismatic. Both had been raised in an environment that valued drive, success, and destiny, and both had demonstrated courage in war. MacArthur had won seven silver stars on the battlefields of France during World War I. Decades later, in World War II, MacArthur made a daring escape aboard a PT boat and then went on to serve as one of the masterminds of Allied strategy in the Pacific Theater. It was in that theater that a young John F. Kennedy saw action as a PT boat commander. When his PT boat was literally cut in half by a Japanese destroyer, Kennedy swam nearly four miles to an uninhabited island, all the while towing an injured member of his crew. Eventually rescued, Kennedy received the Navy Cross for his actions. This common bond as combat veterans served as the basis of the relationship between the general and the young president. Their shared credentials as war heroes eventually drew them into each other's worlds in 1960, as a young Senator Kennedy battled then-Vice President Richard Nixon for the presidency. On July 21, 1960, an explosive article by columnist Drew Pearson ran in many papers around the country. The article challenged the narrative of Kennedy's P.T. boat heroics and quoted MacArthur as saying that instead of receiving the Navy Cross, Kennedy should have been court-martialed for negligence, resulting in the destruction of his P.T. boat 
and the death of two of his crew members. In such a politically charged election year, the article ignited a firestorm. MacArthur received letters from around the country, asking him to confirm or deny the statements attributed to him in Drew Pearson's articles. To many of these letters, MacArthur simply responded, I don't know what you are talking about. I do not even read Drew Pearson's column and do not even know him. I have made no derogatory statements about Senator Kennedy. He was a very gallant young naval officer. To others, MacArthur wrote, I gave no interview to the author of the article you mention, and in fact have never personally met him. He attempts to put words in my mouth which I have never uttered. This incident was not the first brush that MacArthur or Kennedy had with the journalist Drew Pearson. Pearson was notorious for attacking public figures in his columns, sometimes with proof, sometimes with not a shred of evidence to back up his claims. It was Pearson who sensationalized the account of General George S. Patton slapping a soldier during World War II, and it was Pearson who took to the pages of his Washington merry-go-round column to criticize MacArthur over the bonus march in the early 1930s. In the case of the bonus march, Pearson had accused MacArthur of being dictatorial, insubordinate, disloyal, mutinous, and disrespectful of the War Department. Infuriated, at the time, MacArthur sued Pearson for nearly $1.8 million in damages. The lawsuit hit a snag after Pearson located one of MacArthur's ex-girlfriends and bought some of MacArthur's love letters from her. Faced with this potential exposure, the general dropped the lawsuit. Kennedy also had unpleasant dealings with Pearson. Pearson was the first man to openly challenge Kennedy's authorship of Profiles and Courage. In a televised interview on ABC with Mike Wallace in 1958, Pearson said, John F. Kennedy is the only man in history that I know who won a Pulitzer Prize for a book that was ghostwritten for him. Apoplectic, Kennedy's father, Joseph P. Kennedy, threatened to sue, and ABC ultimately issued an apology. Pearson's story about MacArthur disparaging Kennedy's wartime service was just the latest run-in both men would have with the muckraking journalist. Despite MacArthur's repeated denials, the controversy continued, and the statements attributed to the general soon became the centerpiece of a movement to discredit Kennedy's credentials as a war hero. In late August 1960, this prompted MacArthur to issue an official statement disavowing the remarks attributed to him by Pearson and praising Kennedy's wartime service. Kennedy responded with the following telegram. As one who served under your command in the South Pacific, I am extremely grateful for your generous comment. Two months later, Kennedy would go on to win the presidency in one of the closest elections ever. Kennedy and MacArthur met for the first time on April 28, 1961, shortly after the Bay of Pigs disaster. A deeply discouraged Kennedy was in New York City, and he paid a call on the general at the Waldorf Astoria. According to Kenneth O'Donnell, one of Kennedy's aides, the president found the meeting an agreeable surprise. Although MacArthur had made generous comments about Kennedy's wartime service during the Drew Pearson controversy, Kennedy had expected an aloof, egocentric old man. Instead, he later told aides that MacArthur was one of the most fascinating conversationalists he had ever met politically shrewd and intellectually sharp. 
During their meeting, MacArthur rallied to the president's defense, telling him that his troubles in Cuba and Southeast Asia were the result of Eisenhower's failures. According to Kennedy, MacArthur explained, the chickens are coming home to roost, and you live in the chicken house. In a note sent to MacArthur after the meeting, the president wrote, I hope you will feel free at all times to communicate with me if you have ideas which you feel deserve my attention and concern. This was not just presidential lip service. Months later, when MacArthur was invited to attend celebrations in honor of the 15th anniversary of the independence of the Philippines, Kennedy put a presidential plane at MacArthur's disposal and requested that the general meet with him at the White House upon his return. This would be MacArthur's last trip to the Philippines, and it was a very moving experience for him. He likely regarded it as a very generous gift from the president as well. Abruptly fired in 1951 by Truman, and conspicuously ignored by the San Francisco Peace Treaty proceedings, which officially ended hostilities against Japan, MacArthur had received few opportunities to be recognized for his service. During the trip to the Philippines, however, he received the thanks of millions of Filipinos who turned out to see him. On his return, Kennedy welcomed him to the White House on July 20, 1961. The meeting was meant to be brief, but the President and the General talked for three hours, ruining the whole appointment schedule for the day, according to Kennedy's chief aide. During this meeting, MacArthur again sympathized with the President's foreign policy difficulties and criticized the Pentagon for being out of touch, telling the President that he believed that in the last decades, the military had advanced the wrong young officers. Nevertheless, he was quick to assure the President that making a mistake in Cuba was far better than making a mistake farther abroad. As he explained to Kennedy, who was already showing hesitation when it came to Vietnam, a non-nuclear land war in Asia would be a worse mistake and should be avoided at all costs. Kennedy clearly welcomed MacArthur's advice. What impressed Kennedy the most, however, was that at the end of their meeting, MacArthur advised him to prioritize domestic issues like the urban crisis, the ghettos, and the economy, and to completely avoid American involvement in Vietnam. On August 16, 1962, the President invited MacArthur to the White House again. MacArthur was being honored on Capitol Hill that day, and his visit to the White House was meant to be a brief, purely social event. Nevertheless, the two men talked for some time. Most of their conversation was recorded, and MacArthur dominates the discussion, moving nimbly from American politics to Southeast Asia to weapons technology to World War I. During this meeting, MacArthur once again encouraged the president, telling him that every president faces difficulties and that the job isn't and will never be fair. Kennedy appreciated this encouragement, but complained about how difficult it was to work with Congress. Frustrated with the seniority system and with the ever-expanding rules and procedures of the House and Senate, he explained to MacArthur that it was very difficult to accomplish anything domestically. MacArthur sympathized, blaming tremendous power groups for the gridlock in Washington, and he warned the President that one day, Senators and members of the House would be professionals and nothing more than glorified lobbyists. 
As their talk drifted into politics, Kennedy asked MacArthur his opinion of George W. Romney, potential Republican challenger that the president thought he might face in the 1964 election. MacArthur reassured Kennedy on that account, telling the president that Romney would fill the bill. He looks it in everything, but that because few Americans even knew who he was, he would not be much of a threat. This was interesting advice coming from a staunch conservative like MacArthur. As the meeting went on, MacArthur offered Kennedy additional advice on Southeast Asia. He encouraged him to look into covert action, but not any kind of large-scale military operation. To MacArthur, it was important for the United States and its allies to have the initiative in Asia, but he believed that this should be accomplished through Chiang Kai-shek's forces and South Korean forces not the U.S. military. If small groups of American forces were required, however, MacArthur had a solution for that as well. Always concerned about the seemingly limitless manpower in Asia, MacArthur pressed Kennedy to look into developing a handheld nuclear weapon that would allow American soldiers to clear large swaths of the battlefield and thereby maintain superiority, even in the face of overwhelming odds. From this hypothetical weapon, the two then launched into a lengthy discussion of World War I. In later recorded staff meetings, apart from rejecting MacArthur's ideas about handheld nuclear weapons, Kennedy can be heard voicing his high opinion of the general. Based on the transcripts of the recordings, his staff and others remained relatively quiet on the subject, clearly a little surprised by the president's admiration for a man many in Washington labeled as reactionary. MacArthur and Kennedy crossed paths again in late 1962, when a major dispute broke out between the NCAA and the American Athletic Union. As the conflict threatened to derail American participation in the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo, President Kennedy intervened. Not everyone was happy about this intervention. Some opposed the federal government's involvement in what was essentially an issue related to amateur sport. These people feared that federal involvement would ultimately destroy American athletics and replace it with a coercive, robotic, Soviet-style athletic program that valued efficiency over mass participation. Despite these fears about government intervention, during the Cold War, athletics was one of the most important ideological battlegrounds. The success of American athletes made a powerful argument about the validity and strength of democracy and the federal government was not going to let internal squabbles threaten America's success on the world stage. Failure to compete against the Soviet Union was not an option. In the midst of this controversy, President Kennedy asked General MacArthur to arbitrate the dispute so that the United States would be represented at the Olympics. This was the first official assignment that MacArthur had received since he'd been fired by Truman in 1951. A lifelong fan of athletics, MacArthur accepted the assignment without pause. Technically, there was concern that the general may not have the legal authority to force the parties to abide by any agreement, but in a memo from Attorney General Robert Kennedy, it is clear that the White House hoped that the prestige of General MacArthur would be enough to dominate both parties and bring the weight of public opinion in favor of any agreement. In the end, this was a successful strategy. The Amateur Athletic Union accepted General MacArthur's arbitration in a letter to the President, 
calling the general an eminent American citizen, soldier, and sportsman. The NCAA also praised the selection of the general and agreed to meet with him. Working with the leaders of both organizations, MacArthur was able to smooth out a temporary agreement called the MacArthur Plan. This plan ensured that American athletes would be able to qualify for the Olympics and also provided an outlet for grievances that would not disrupt U.S. participation. On January 23, 1963, Kennedy wrote to MacArthur, calling the terms of the agreement excellent. Thanking him for his service, Kennedy wrote, It was your agreement to act as arbitrator that made it all possible. To the press, Kennedy announced, The real winners are the athletes. I wish to express my gratitude to General Douglas MacArthur for undertaking one more assignment and for mediating the dispute so effectively and successfully. His willingness to remain on duty to settle any further points of controversy which may develop should assure the highest caliber of American amateur athletic participation, both at home and abroad. The conflict would erupt again in the future, but MacArthur's mediation ultimately saved the 1964 Olympics for American athletes. The American team would come home with 36 gold medals to the Soviet Union's 30 gold medals, making the United States the leading nation at that year's Olympics. By November 1963, the relationship between the two men was continuing to develop. When word arrived of President Kennedy's assassination on November 22, 1963, like many in the nation, MacArthur was shaken. As a soldier of hundreds of battlefields, MacArthur had seen countless men struck down, but this was never something that he became callous about. He sent the following telegram to Mrs. Kennedy. I realize the utter futility of words at such a time, but the world of civilization shares the poignancy of this monumental tragedy. As a former comrade in arms, his death kills something within me. When General MacArthur died about five months after Kennedy, Mrs. Kennedy sent Mrs. MacArthur the following telegram. My deepest sympathy to you on the death of General MacArthur. His loss will be felt throughout the world, and he shall never be forgotten by all those who loved and admired him. The processions and ceremonies that made up MacArthur's funeral probably reminded many people of Kennedy's recent funeral. In fact, it was Kennedy who had convinced the general to have a state funeral in this fashion. In Kennedy's mind, a suitable national tribute acknowledging MacArthur's service to his country was absolutely necessary and would allow the nation to say farewell to one of its great military leaders. Underlining the general's importance, Robert and Ethel Kennedy accompanied his body from New York to Washington, D.C. as official mourners. More than any other president, Kennedy understood the general. As William Manchester points out, MacArthur was Kennedy's kind of hero, valiant, a patrician, proud of his machismo, and a lover of glory. Flattered by the president's attention, MacArthur reciprocated. MacArthur is often remembered for being the general that challenged the authority of presidents. Given his tempestuous relationship with other presidents, MacArthur's respect for Kennedy speaks volumes. In a note to the President, MacArthur once wrote, If I could be of any possible assistance, I think you know without my saying, you have but to command me.
Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.